Hallelujah. We thank God you have tuned in to this message by David Entry at Caris Church. No hand can help you with the fulfillment of your destiny but the Word of God. May God hand align with you further into your destiny through this Word. John chapter 16, verse number 6. I think I'll just read from verse 5 to make sense, all the way to 16. It says that, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I, if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How, how be it, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall shew it unto you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and shall shew it unto you a little while and ye shall not see me and again a little while and ye shall see me because i go to the father here ends the reading of god's word and i also like to read from john chapter 14 verse 16 and i will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever i read it again and i'll pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Here ends the reading of God's word. Shall we please pray? Father, thank you for bringing us together to have fellowship with one another and with you. As we fellowship around your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you reveal Jesus to us. Give us encounters in God which man cannot give us. Our, our ultimate prayer is that you will saturate us with yourself, that we will be filled with the fullness of God, in a way that human comprehension cannot grasp. We pray that as your word is taught, pave the way and fill us with yourself. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Clothed. The Bible says, or God said that, Joel chapter 2 verse 28, it shall come to pass. In the last days that I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. He's talking about how he will pour, the spirit being poured out. Not drops, not dripped. It's, it's even more than just rain. Pour, pour out. It's like you take a whole barrel and then of water and then pour it. He said, I will pour my spirit upon all flesh. That has always been God's eternal agenda as long as earth is concerned so that he can have a working companion a working counterpart on earth one of the reasons why he created the earth is because of man so if you go in here or other place there's no human being he created us and put us here just just to let you know as you spend millions and dollars and billions you won't find any man anywhere man is here there's no life anywhere life is here so god created the earth because he wants to with man on earth. But why did he create man? He didn't create us so we can come here and worship him. He created man so we can be his habitation. He created man so we can be his companion. He created man so we can be his companion. We can be his habitation. We can be his reflection. And then we can be the, the last one. Enlargement. We can be his enlargement on earth. I mean, these are very strong things. As you grow in the knowledge of Christ, you begin to understand it more. That's the foundation of the purpose of God's creation. 
so we can be his companion. So now, watch this. He said, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Now, God is working on earth, but he does, God never works unilaterally on earth. So he created man so man can be his companion. Now, for us to be able to work with him for now, because of the fall, he's working and he's building his house. For us to be able to work with him, there's something that is so essential, which is called the Holy Spirit. In the olden days, or in the Old Testament times, the Spirit of God will come upon a Moses. The Spirit of the Lord. The Bible uses the Spirit of the Lord. In the Old Testament, actually, the Holy Spirit is not necessarily an Old Testament phrase. The Holy Spirit is the New Testament. What do you mean? But anywhere you see Holy Spirit used in the Old Testament, it's just a translation. I think only twice in the book of Psalm and Isaiah. And the real rendering is the Spirit of Holiness. Is not like holy. Holy Spirit is the, 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 the what you are talking about, and it's a New Testament word because of the coming of Christ. So you can pour the Spirit. The Holy Spirit can come upon us. But God in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord will come upon individual. He will come on a Moses. He will come on an Elijah. He will come on an Elisha. He will come on a Jeremiah. He will come on a Samson. He will come on a Gideon. He will come on an Esther. He will come on David. He will come on a Saul. The Holy Spirit will come to, to accomplish God's purpose because God never accomplished anything on earth with man without his spirit. So if a man got to do something for God, his spirit have to come on man. That's why Jesus Christ could not work he couldn't, for 30 years, he wasn't doing anything. He was just living a normal life. Normal life. If he had, there was football, he would have been playing football. <laughs> That's why the people found his hometown, they found it very confusing and disturbing. For this guy just to, after 30 years, what has come on him? Now he said he's God. I mean, if you were saying it among some pagans, they might accept it. But Jews, there's only one God. And he's the father. It's such serious blasphemy. For you, and we saw you when you were a baby. We saw when you were, you were walking around. A carpenter, you, you made our chair. God does, he creates. You made the chair that is in my house. The one we have been using for uh, uh, watching TV. <laughs> our dining table, the guy who made that, ma'am. I saw a man, the one who made our dining table. He said he's God. Oh, come on, don't mind me. So they, they, you, should, you should understand. Put yourself in the shoes of a, a Jew in first century Christ, uh, Palestine. How can, how can he accept? So you can imagine when he saw the disciples and in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, he tells them that follow me and I'll make you. They were following a man who hasn't done a miracle. They're following, a, a, just a stranger, kind of a stranger comes. He said, follow Mark chapter 4, verse 22. And they left everything and followed. That must be something else. It's not rational. A tax collector, he was making so much money. Matthew, Levi was making so much. He was very rich. Rich. He said, anything I've taken from anybody, I'll give them four times. And I'll be fine. <laughs> tell you, yeah, the guy had money. money. He was very loaded. And such an, a, a, a shrewd businessman, he was making so much money. Jesus comes to his business center, his company, and he says that, follow me. And Matthew just leaves everything. Wow. No, no, that is something else. Yeah. They, they, they just didn't hear a voice of an ordinary man. Something of the, of the, 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 the something divine arrested them. Captured them because that's, no one does that. Leaves everything and follows a man you don't know who, where. You don't even know where he's going. He hasn't done. He hasn't worked any miracle. He hasn't done anything. Follow and then they just left and follow. No, they had a voice that is beyond a natural voice. And so when people say that, how can you say you are God? We know you. In fact, they said, is that is is his mother not even to say he's a prophet? They were struggling let alone God. So you can, you can understand that for Jesus to say he was God, the Jews would have a serious problem. But even with that, he could not do anything until the Holy Spirit came upon him. And all those unfolding of who he was and what he could do started after 
uh, let me put it this way, his ministry started after the baptism. So do you understand why it was important for John the Baptist to go ahead of him? Because until he was baptized, the spirit was not going to come. And someone must be authorized to baptize him. So John the Baptist comes to baptize Jesus. He was trying to avoid it, but Jesus said, you got to do it because I am I'm operating as man, even though I'm fully God. That's the conundrum of Christianity, or not a conundrum, but the Bible says that the mystery of godliness, the mystery of godliness. Let me digress to say this. When Jesus was born in the manger, the Bible says unto us, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he says that child and that son who is given is the mighty God, everlasting Father. Watch this. This is a very, I'm about to make a very serious theological statement to take us sometimes, some people sometimes together. But when Jesus came on earth, it wasn't only Jesus who was on earth. You are talking about the entirety of, of the Trinity. Godhead. So that baby in the manger is not only God the Son, it's God the Father as well. That's what the text says. He's God the Father. Remember I taught you this Latin phrase, theological Latin phrase, uh, opera trinitatis adestra indivisa sant. It's, it's a mouthful though, but opera trinitatis adestra indivisa sant. The operations of the Trinity in the world is not divisible. You can, when you see the sun moving, you can't say it's only the sun. It's actually the Father. Jesus puts it this way in John chapter 14, verse 10. He said, don't you know the Father is in me and I'm in the Father? It's, I'm not alone. No. And it's not like I've got back in this one. The tr- <laughs> believers, believers thou know that I am, watch this, is that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's not saying later. I said, now, as I speak to you, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. It's, it's like, it's a very beautiful mystery. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, great is the mystery of godliness. God himself was captured in human flesh. So as Jesus was, was in the manger, it is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit who have become a baby. It's great. Someone, Martin Luther puts it this way. If you can understand the Trinity, then you can be God's teacher. If you now I understand the Trinity, it's a mystery. It's, it's, Bible says, "Great is the mystery of godliness." God was manifested in the flesh, physically, without controversy. It's no two ways about it. That's why other religions struggle. How can you say Jesus is God? How can you? They, they struggle. What, what, what stops God from showing up as a man if he's God? What stops God from showing up in the flesh as a man? And yet he showed up so beautifully that you wouldn't know he's man. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8, it says, Your throne, O God! Talking about Christ. <laughs> is that unto the Son? He says, Thy throne, O God, is an everlasting throne. Talking about the Son. In Romans chapter 9, verse 5, it says that Jesus Christ is God. He says that who are fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall God blessed forever. Christ is over God blessed forever. He's not just a normal human being. He's a full-blown human being, but human being who was a container of full-blown God. Now watch this. In spite of all that, he needed a baptism. He needed the baptism or the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Just like any ordinary, any other man who need the spirit upon him to work for God on earth, Jesus needed his humanity. The humanity of Jesus, which we can identify with, needed the coming of the Holy Spirit. So when you read Mark chapter 10, sorry, chapter 1 verse 10, the Bible says that, when he was being baptized, and straight away, coming out of the this at his baptism, coming out of the water, he saw the heaven 
heavens open. Let's all say that together. He saw. Please say it loud. Please say it for the last time. When he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens opened. The Greek word translated opened here is practically, it sounds like schizo. Schizo. S-C-H-I-Z-O. Schizo. Which really in translation means the heaven was torn apart. The heavens was ripped. It's the same word that was translated as the curtain in the temple in Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. Matthew 27 51. The curtains in the temple, the veil in the temple was you see that word rent is schizo. It was ripped. It was torn asunder with force. It was torn. And Bible didn't say just the veil. Why the veil? Because you for many generations, the veil in the temple was separating man from God. Oh, I like that. Yeah, the veil in the temple separated man from God. In Exodus 26, verse 33, it says, put a veil, and the veil will be a separation from separate the holy place. It says, then you shall bring in the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall be shall be a divider for you between the holy place. The veil was meant to divide. So God is here, man is here. Why? Because God cannot be one with man because of sin. The veil. That's in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 3. It talks about the veil. It's all over scripture. But it's interesting. Listen to this very carefully before I move away. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 20, Bible says the body of the flesh of Jesus was veiled. It was like a veil. So when he died on the cross and he was nailed to the cross, is that the veil was has been? That's what it means. It said in your, in your Bible, it says that by a new and a living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. His flesh was the veil. So when he died on the cross, that veil was removed. And now the division between God, oh, I, I feel like preaching now. You know, the, the separation between God and man, the division between God and man was ripped from the top to bottom, according to Matthew chapter 27. It was ripped from the top, not from below, because very high. God asked to say, God himself said, finally, now God and man can become one. He had to take the cross. He took the cross for God and man to be one. So when he died on the cross and he said, Tetelestai, he said, it is finished. When he said, it is finished, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Bible says that the vein was, the veil was rent, was rent by God with like a force. Finally, give me space. Get out of my way. <laughs> I feel like preaching. God said, get out of my way. Now I can be one with man. Shout hallelujah. That was the essence of the cross. The rocks were also rent. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a rock. Broke is like you put more ripped apart. The same word when Jesus was being baptized. The same Greek word that the heavens. So it looks like, watch this, watch this. It seems to me as though the force with which God wanted to be one with man. When the cross accomplished the redemption, God said, now I can come. He tore the curtain and came. Seems like it was the same kind of force when for once... For generation upon generation, God has found somebody, a human being, who has fulfilled all the law, in the, all the requirements of the law. A perfect human being, God himself, said, my son. And for, for, for the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit can now really settle fully rest. In the past, he came upon and went. He came upon and went. But now, he's coming to rest. The Holy Spirit was coming to rest. It's in your Bible. He said, upon him, you see the Spirit coming and remaining. He's not coming and going. Oh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 31, 33. Upon him, you see the Spirit descending and 
and re, re, me, me. for the first time in history, the Holy Spirit was about to come down and remain on a human being. So God had to rip the heavens. He told, <laughs> he said, give me space, give me access. I'm coming now, finally, the hour has come. Finally, the day has come, the Holy Ghost. God, the heavens was ripped and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And father, the father had to speak. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. So in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1, the Bible says that, will God not rent the heavens and come down? Shadabaya. Oh, thou, thou will rent the heavens. Tear the heavens again. Tear the heavens, oh Lord. Come down. Tear the heavens. Come down. And that's what happened on the baptism of Jesus. The heavens were torn apart and God descended on humanity, on a human being, a singular person. But that was not the ultimate agenda. The ultimate agenda is that Christ's body, as he goes to the cross, last week I was going to say something I didn't get to say, about this John, the gospel writer called John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John, John the beloved. He is the same one who wrote the book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And he's the same one who wrote the book of Revelation. John, he presented Jesus in the beginning. Was the word, and the word, permit me to sound American. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and darkness comes. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. He wasn't the light, but he was sent to bear witness of the light. Verse 9, the true light that lighteneth every man who comes into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and well, we well knew him not. Verse 11, he came to his own, his own receiving love. Verse 12, but as many as receive him, as many as believe in him, he gave them the right to become the sons of God. Born not of the will of man or of blood or the will of the flesh, but born of the flesh. And verse 14, and the word. Hmm. The word became flesh, but we will find out later that that flesh became spirit. The word became flesh. John began to say, after talking about that, he said, verse 18, that no one has ever seen God at any time, but on the only begotten, which from the bosom of the Father, he has defined God to us. Then the verse 19 talks about John again, that the Jews wanted to know who are you, and he didn't. He didn't deny it and all that. He said, I'm the voice of one. He answered in the voice of Isaiah, in the words of Isaiah. I'm the one, the voice of one crying, make way. So then John saw Jesus coming as he was baptizing. Verse 20, I said, behold the Lamb of God. That's another major word. It starts with the word, and then he was life and light, and he became flesh. Then as he was developing his thoughts, he introduces us to the fact that this word which became flesh is a lamb. <laughs> it's a lamb upon whom the spirit comes to rest. John, he was dropping major stuff. And then he, after saying that he's the lamb of God and he introduces the spirit, he goes further into one chapter, the same opening chapter, he goes further in introducing Jesus as Jacob's ladder. That you see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I just told you something where you were sitting and you are surprised. You, from, don't worry, you will see more. That's what he said to Nathaniel. That from this time, he then introduces him as Jacob's ladder. The ladder that Jacob saw in his revelation about the house of God, the gateway of heaven. Gateway is you. When you enter into a gateway, you are going to a different realm. Oh, yeah. Without Christ, you can't enter a certain realm in God. So, 
Then I'm drawing attention to this very interesting in chapter 2. John chapter 2 is interesting. It, starts, it talks about Jesus' first miracle at a wedding. Why a wedding? At a wedding? And he, he didn't miss what he said. That was the first miracle he did in Galilee. And it had to be at a marriage ceremony because he came because of marriage. He came. The groom coming to look for his bride. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. He came for his bride. Oh, God created man in his image. After creating man in his image, God himself, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 said, it is not good for man to be alone. What are you telling us about yourself? I thought you created him in your image. Why are you saying it's not on earth? No, 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 no. A counterpart, oh, oh, a, 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 a counterpart. A companion is needed for man on this earth. So Jesus Christ came as the last Adam. He got to have his own bride. Adam had his Eve. Christ has his church. Oh. So when you read the Bible very carefully, you realize that the Bible is going to close and with wedding ceremony between, watch this, between the lamb and his wife. It is only Christianity that can let you know a lamb has a wife. <laughs> He said, let us rejoice and be glad, Revelation chapter 19. Let us rejoice and be glad, giving the glory to him. For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Shout hallelujah. <laughs> let us be glad and rejoice, giving honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb, for the marriage of the lamb. And the church is the bride. So Christ came to get his bride. So, you know, someone went and told John the Baptist in John chapter 3, that, you know, that guy who you said is the Lamb of God, his church is growing. Everybody is leaving your church. People, your members have all started going there. Yes. John chapter 3 from verse from 26, 7, 27. And John the Baptist gave a very interesting response. He says that, he must increase, I must decrease. He says that when you go to a wedding, the groom, the friend of the groom, he just, that is like the, the groom's uh, um, the best man. He just comes with the bride or he, he comes to announce and then stands, stays with the bride till the groom. But when the groom makes an appearance, the, the best man just stand aside. So he said that me, I'm like a best man. If the bride is going to the groom, the, today this joy is mine. The joy, the joy is mine. I, am, I came to prepare the way for the groom himself. The people who are coming to me, they are not my bride. The groom himself is coming. John the Baptist knew his identity. And he won't steal anybody's bride or church. <laughs> he said, this joy is mine. Can you imagine? Destroyed. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of groom's wife. Therefore, this joy is fulfilled. It's mine. Of mine is fulfilled. Because finally the groom is here. So Christ came as a groom. No wonder his first miracle had to be at a wedding. John, John, you are falling very deep, John. John, you can touch on things that ordinary minds can't pick up until they are schooled by the Holy Spirit. And some of these things, you can even go to uh, uh, Bible school, theological seminaries, and you still won't get it because you are blocked from accessing divine truth unless you are born again. Except a man is born again. He cannot see the kingdom. Wow. John chapter 3, verse 3. Unless you are born again, there are some of these truths. It's gibberish for you. No wonder people stand, sit outside and say, oh, this rubbish. Or, oh, yes, it's rubbish. They told Jesus Christ he was demon possessed. So you are not far from those people. It's same. It's, it's always been like that. Because there are depths in God that you don't access just intellectually. Even go, God doesn't sidestep intelligence. He said by faith. Faith goes before understanding when it comes to God. 
By faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. By faith, we understand. So the understanding is important. Your comprehension, the things you understand can influence the, the kind of faith you walk in. Oh, I feel like preaching. Because a man, a centurion comes to Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 8, and he says, my servant lies from sick. Jesus said, I will come. The centurion's understanding of protocol made him operate in a certain level of faith. So God does not invalidate understanding intelligence. But God, you see, your heart will inform your head when it comes to God. So the, the, Jesus commended the man's faith because of the understanding he had. However, in the kingdom, faith goes before understanding. That means there are things God will speak to you about you, don't have to, you, you may not understand. God doesn't need our total understanding. He needs our yieldedness. God, you don't have to understand everything. It's yield to God when you know it's him. So Jesus goes to the wedding to go and perform a first miracle by sweetening up the wedding celebration. He sweetened it up in a better way than the previous one because Jesus believes in celebrating marriage. <laughs> Those who say, I don't believe in marriage, I don't believe, I understand where you are coming from, but, but Jesus is smarter. <laughs> so, but he went to into marriage ceremony. Then John, John chapter 2 tells us about how Jesus made an appearance at a marriage ceremony. And he didn't leave it there. From the marriage ceremony, he goes into the temple. He goes into the temple and whips out those who were buying and selling in the temple. Jesus, what are you about? Marriage, you are telling us something. But just not, I told you God made us to be his counterparts. But not only his counterpart, marriage, his habitation or his house. So from the marital setting, he went into the house setting. He went to the temple, made whip. Whip all those who were buying and selling. And he made a scourge of small cords. He drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changes money too. We don't need this here. Then he said, my house shall be a house of prayer. He <laughs> says that. Then the disciples saw that there are things you can't do. The reason why you are complaining about church is because your zeal is gone. That's why a lot of other things have, been, have taken precedence. When your zeal goes down, you struggle to attend meetings. You used to start from the first seat, second seat, then you go to the next seat. That zeal going, the zeal, the zeal is dissipating. Listen, you can't have revival without zealous people. Oh yeah, it takes zeal to get up and go for the things of God. A lot of people wait for it to be brought to them. So you come, oh, prepare, oh, get, get, give me a good feeling, give me a good feeling, oh, thank you. As I was explaining the other time, you can sit in your couch and call your daughter or your husband or your wife or the one you live with, you can tell them, can you make a cup of coffee for me? And you can wait, and then when you're coming, add um, uh, rich tea, biscuit. <laughs> Some digestive. Oh, add rich tea. And say, no problem. And they will bring it to you. Whilst you are still in the couch with the remote in your hands and watching or playing video game or watching your favorite whatever, you are still there. You will still have it. But it's different when they are there. But you say, no, I'm going to. You get up from the couch. Pause the whatever you are watching or leave it. Go to the kitchen yourself. Make the coffee and come. It's different. Many people are in church waiting for the things of God to be brought to them. But you can't stay a revival if you don't get up and go yourself, pursue God, look for God. God, wherever you are, whatever it takes, I'm going to get you. I need you, Lord. I'm hungry for you, Lord. Fall afresh on me. Pour out your spirit. God, listen, we are not fasting 40 days in the church. It's 21 days we've finished, but some of us are still going. Some of us are still going. Why? Because we we want God in a dimension that natural man cannot just access. If you stay in your comfort zone for God to come, you might get him, but not in a certain dimension that some of us will get. Oh yes. Oh yes. 
You got to pay a price to express your hunger, your desperation. This Christian life, you do it as pleasure. There's a difference between a professional tennis ball player and someone who is playing it as a hobby. Oh, yes. If it's hobby, you play it. But it's professional. You, it's not, you, even when you are tired, because you, you have a match, you have a game coming. You are forced because you are a professional. Some of us, you, our approach to God is just a hobby. It's hobby. It's a, as and when it's convenient. As and when. Because you believe it's your religious duty. That definition of godliness as religion has invalidated a lot of people's zeal. It's just religion. I'll do it when I can. Um, it's, it's okay. You don't have to get into this thing too much. What else do you, can you, should you get into so much? Just, just tell me. If this God thing is real for you, oh boy. Oh boy, the songwriter said, I said I wasn't going to tell anybody about it, but I just couldn't keep it to myself. Jesus went to the temple and the Bible says that this, the disciples remembered how it's written. The zeal of your house has consumed me. Consumed me. When the zeal of God's house consumes you, your friends will notice that you are gone. Your family will notice that you are taking this too far. It is not that you are not intelligent. It's not that you are not smart. It's not that you are a fanatic. But you can explain something of God has captured your heart. That is, that is the platform on which revival can spread in this country. Keep your children at home. Some will give their children for the revival. Keep your children so that their education will be not be interrupted, interfered with. Some said that we are in it all. When a lion is eating a rabbit, he doesn't have time to make it boneless. <laughs> you have so much time taking the bones of pursuit of God out so you can have a fillet. Oh yeah, you want to have a fillet? My God, when zeal consumes you, you eat everything, including the intestines, including the guts, including the digested and undigested food, including the fat, oh, single, every hour. You go, oh, I'm talking about someone who is consumed by the zeal of God. Sorry, you might feel a little bit disappointed, but let me let you know, this is not ordinary. I know it's here church as ordinary. This is filled with people who are hungry, people who are zealous. We want God, we want God. looking for a group of people in the United Kingdom. Who knows if you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. He said if you don't do it, help, God will raise help from somewhere else. But don't think you and your house will be spared. Because God has an agenda for behind the reason why he called you. Behind the reason why he blessed you. Behind your job. That if it's a good job and you believe God helped you, then there is an agenda, divine agenda behind it. Don't protect the job at the expense of your relationship with God. Don't protect your wedding at the expense of your relationship with God and your assignment. There's a reason. God is looking, he said, Jesus, on the last day, the great day of the feast, he stood there with a loud voice. He cried out, whoever is thirsty, it's not for everybody. Some move of God is not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Whoever is thirsty, protect your interest. But God said, I'm looking for thirsty people. Gideon, look at the way they drink their water. Gideon, look at the way they satisfy their test. That will tell you who I can use for the next phase. I've been young. Now I'm old. Never have I seen the righteous mistaken. Now I'm sick. They, they told Jesus, tell 
these ones to shut up, they are making too much noise. Jesus said, even if they stop, in Matthew 21, even if God is able to raise up the stones to cry out. He said, the stones will cry out to God. If you let them stop, God can raise for himself a people. When he came, the societal elites, they were fine. They were not interested. He went to the fishermen. But fishermen, how far can you go with them? Oh, really? Wait till the Holy Ghost comes upon them. So God is not calling you because of your natural strength, natural abilities, natural forte. He does not need your forte. God doesn't need your talent. God doesn't need your natural ability. He doesn't. He doesn't. Oh, look at this. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. God can say something from heaven in a way that everyone on earth will hear the same time in their own language. God can do that so easily. He can say, hey, I want to save the world. Those who want to come, come. He can say it and everyone anywhere in the world will hear it in their own language. So then, so that means he doesn't really need you and I. It's not about God's ability to do, but it's about God's plan. How has he chosen to do it? And he has chosen to do it through you and I, human instruments, so that when everything is done, only God can take the credit for it. Uh, God is interested in using you, but not your talent. So when you want to work for God, first of all, can you excuse yourself of your, of your talent mentality? Excuse yourself, else you can't go far. When you know you have inadequacies. When the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they knew that these guys were unlearned, they took notice of them, and they said, These guys have been with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit has a way of compensating for your inadequacies when he wants to use you. It doesn't matter what you don't have. If he says, I want to use you, turn to him. It takes the Holy Spirit to be able to do the work of God. It takes the Holy Spirit. Musicians, singers, stop depending on your talent. We don't need it in the church. Britain has got talent, might need it. X Factor might need it. America something, something. American might need it. Hollywood might need it. But the church doesn't need it. The church doesn't. The church needs spirit-filled people. Without the spirit filling you, there will be no fruits that can come out of your life for the building of the church to his glory. Without the Holy Spirit. Not even Jesus, God on earth, full God, true God of true gods. Man of man, he was walking on earth and he could not do anything until the Holy Ghost comes upon him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. We need the Holy Spirit now more than ever before. But why hasn't he come on? Why hasn't he come on now? Because people have, are lacking zeal. Many people are not hungry. He works with your hunger. He works with your hunger. The way you are cool. The way you're so gentle, the way you're so relaxed, the way you are chilling out. Sorry, he can't do much with you. He can't do much. There needs to be a desire, a hunger. If any man thirsts, John gets into the temple. He said, Jesus whips out people, and then they ask him, Can you give us a sign? Why you are doing this thing? They didn't say, Why are you doing it? They knew it was wrong. Someone needs to do it. But it takes a certain level of audacity. So can you give us a sign? Why are you doing this thing? He told them, destroy this temple. Whoa. He brought the temple in. Temple. Somebody say temple. temple. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise it up. And they said, hey! It has taken 46 years to build this thing. You are saying you, you, you read it, rebuild it in three days. And the Bible says that, yet he spoke about the temple of his body. Watch this. He was saying something that you cannot just pick up intellectually. Yeah. He was talking, even his disciples didn't understand until the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. 
Bible said, when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said that unto them. And then and they believed the scriptures. So even his disciples couldn't capture the thing properly. Jesus was talking about this body is a temple. Mm, now that's where I'm going. John, you spoke about marriage. Now you've brought temple. You started with the word and then life. And then you brought us to a lamb. And from the lamb, you took us to the spirit. And from the spirit, you took us to Jacob's ladder. Now the next chapter, you opens up with marriage. And now you have brought us into a temple. And the temple you are saying, so Jesus said, this is my temple. You destroy it. Three days time, I'll raise a temple for God. The temple God has always wanted from Genesis. Finally, Jesus was about to raise it. After the, after the resurrection. In resurrection, he started raising the temple. And now, guess what? He has called you and I to be laborers, co-laborers with him in raising this temple that he started 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus. When he resurrected from the dead, in John chapter 20, verse 22, he came to his disciples mm. and he preached upon them. <sighs> he preached. The Greek word is pneuma. Breath, spirit, he breathes upon them. The Hebrew word is wah. He breathes upon them. Wah is not neshma. The Hebrew word neshma is normal breath. You don't hear when people are neshma. You don't hear it. You don't hear it. When someone is sitting beside you, you can't hear them breathing. Even yourself, you don't hear yourself breathing. That's the breath. It's neshma. But God never used neshma for the spirit. The Holy Spirit used Ruach. Ruach is force. So Bible says that on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place, Acts chapter 2, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven. It wasn't a wind from heaven. It was a sound, but the sound was like a forceful wind because that's what the Holy Spirit is. Now, if you are not careful, you might not see anything, but that's why when it comes to spiritual things, your hearing precedes your seeing. They heard a sound, but nothing was moving. So even the blind in that room who knew the spirit has come. Why? Because they could hear the sound. There was a set, a certainly a difference. That's where I'm going now. Let me try. There was certainly a difference between the spirit that he breathed upon them because in John chapter 20, verse 22, he breathed upon them and he said, receive ye the spirit. So certainly they did. But as I explained last week, the spirit they received when it breathed upon them was the spirit for their living. Now watch this. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5, verse 9, verse 10, verse 5 says that, that says the Lord unto thee, behold, I will cause what? I will cause what? I will cause what? Breath to enter into you. That breath that comes into you will make you live. It's a breath for life. In Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, and God breathed into man, and man became a living flesh. Man became a living soul. So he breathed into man. That breath is for life. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 9. Look at verse 9. Look at verse 10. And verse 14 is even interesting. Verse 9 says that, Then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man. And say to the wind, That says the Lord, Come from the four winds, four winds, all breath, and breathe upon the slain that they might lay. <laughs> the breath of life. Breathe upon the slain, those who are dead, that they might live. Verse 10, verse 10, verse 10. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And the, and the breath came unto them. And don't forget, see, we only focus on the breath. But the impact of the breath is that life surged. Like Revelation 11, 11. Life surged when the breath came. Life comes in when the breath comes in. So look at the verse 14 in Ezekiel 37 quickly. Verse 14 says that now this breath is not an ordinary breath because it's the spirit. <laughs> and I shall put, oh God said, I shall put my spirit in you and ye shall leave. 
That's what happened on when Jesus resurrected. In John chapter 20, verse 22, he breathed upon them the breath of life. He breathed and they lived. Now they became containers of God. They became the house of God. They became the living entities of God. They now had the life of God for the first time in human history. When Adam fell, Adam never had that. Adam was supposed to have eaten the tree of life so he could, he could have the life of God in him. He had bios, the natural life, but he didn't have Zoe. And but this time, Jesus came from resurrection and he breathed Zoe into them. He said, receive it. And he breathed the spirit and they received life. So that spirit he breathed on them was not, as I explained, was not for the, necessarily for the building of the church, but it's just for the receiving of the life of God. So there are two aspects of the spirit. Just the way we have two aspects for water. The water inside and the water outside. The water inside is for quenching your thirst and for nourishment. For the water outside is for bathing and cleansing. So there's water that goes in and there's water that stays out. In the same way, there's spirit who is the water, the spirit that goes in for your life as a child of God, and the spirit that comes upon for your function as a builder of the church or a worker for God. So after they receive the intake of the spirit, he told them, wait in Jerusalem. Mm. Look, those of you who were here when I was teaching on the book of um, Colossians towards the end, we hear a very important person's name called Luke, whose name makes an appearance in scripture about three or four times. Yes. But Luke in the New Testament, Luke is a very important person to look at. <laughs> Luke was the writer of the gospel according to Luke. He was a medical doctor. Paul said, Luke, our beloved brother Luke, the physician. He was a medical doctor. And as well, he became a disciple of Jesus Christ. He took his time to narrate in a chronological order everything about Jesus' life. He took his time because, you know, he was being trained to be analytical. He wrote after he did all his investigations. So he wrote Luke chapter 1 to chapter, the book of Luke to 24. Then he's the same one who wrote the book of Acts. I explain it if you haven't, if you don't know, you listen to the message on Luke uh, somewhere there. He wrote the book of Acts, but in between Luke and Acts, there's one book called John inside it. John, John, I like John, you know. I, I, in my listening to Bible on tape and all that, I think I've listened to John more than any other book. John, John. But so look at this: the ending chapter of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verse 49, listen to what he says. He says that, and behold, I send you the promise. Let's all read the Allah from the screen. Let's go. You shall be clothed. Say clothed. You shall be. I, I, I think I, <laughs> those who were in the prayer meeting explained the. the the, the, the uh, uh, Greek word is labesh, labesh or labesh. Now, when you look at different translation, American Standard Version, New American Standard Version, English Standard Version, Amplified Version, it doesn't use you shall be endued. It uses you shall be clothed. So the Holy Spirit clothes you. Jesus said, now you have received him inside, but now it's as a uniform. You know, when you join some companies like BA or um, Metropolitan Police and even the community police and even traffic wardens, yeah. and most of you, the, most of us here, where we, you work, once they employ you, they will give you your uniform. So B, BA, <laughs> carry square. BA, when you leave, BA, when you leave BA, you are supposed to return your uniform. They give you a hat, they give you a wing, they give you suits and different types of and they even give you shoe they give you bag and traveling bag ba yeah but when you are leaving you are supposed to return it some of you are ex-army officers and there are things they took from you when you are leaving but when you pass your training now they give you your uniform when you are working in town as an army officer you know or you can't be an army officer on the battlefield without your uniform you have to Police officer, you have to. 
You wear your uniform. I won't stop if you don't show the uniform in your car. Once they turn on the blue, it's a sign of we are wearing authority. If they are not in marked cars or they are not in uniform, when they turn on the lights, you know that that's a police officer. So it's like uniform. God said, don't rush to try and work for me without the appropriate You need it. You need it. So yeah, I know you are alive. You have the life of God in you. I breathe the spirit into you. But you need the spirit to clothe you. Now watch this. Luke chapter, the one we read, chapter 24. It's like the end of Luke overlaps the beginning of Acts. It's the same water. Very interesting. So when you look at what we just read, look at it again. Verse 49. Then look at the verse 50. Quickly, the verse 50. And he led them out. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifted his hands and blessed them. What happened? The next day, 51. Look at 51. And it came to pass. Why he blessed them? He was departed from them and carried into heaven. He went. So that's the last thing he said. Wait. Now look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He told them, when they assembled, he told them, wait. So it's the same, the same, the same story. But in Acts, he, he, he elaborates a little bit. And then verse 8 says, shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Look at verse 9. After the Holy Spirit has come. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. So do you see the overlap? Just before he went, the last thing he spoke to them is, wait until the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And then when he said the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he remembers that the, the heavens were chiseled, schizoed, were ripped for the Holy Ghost to come. Because the Holy Spirit can't wait to come upon, watch, watch, watch this, watch this. The temple can't work without the Spirit. So Jesus, when he was walking on earth, the Spirit came upon him to work as the temple. And he told them, destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise the actual one. The temple whose boundaries you can't define. Talking about the church, the body of Christ. But for the body of Christ to function, the spirit must come upon this temple. The spirit for the second time ripped the heavens on the day of Pentecost. That's why I said a mighty rushing wind ripped the heavens and came upon them. When you read Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it talks about how the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew a trumpet and everybody gathered around him. The Hebrew word, the Spirit of the Lord came upon, is the same thing. Okay, new English Standard, English Standard Version. Look at English Standard Version. That's the one that comes close to the original. The English Standard Version says that, and the Spirit of the Lord did what? Close. Can I show you something? One, about three weeks ago, I was speaking about the spirit, and I used gloves. Mm-hmm. Now, clothes, say clothes. clothes. That's, that, that's my, my title, actually. Clothes, say clothes. clothes. I use the gloves that the Holy Spirit wears you. When we talk about clothes, usually comes across like the uniform illustration. We being uniform, clothed. But when you look at the text very carefully, when you look at the context and the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek explanation, it seems to suggest that it's not you being just clothed, but the Holy Spirit actually makes you his clothes. Like the gloves. He wears you. So they see you as the normal you. But when they see your results, uh, who is behind you? What? what, what? making you do what you do. We, that's why you have to be careful when you live with someone who is seeking God. They may look ordinary, but when their results start. You know, look at how Jesus said. Jesus said, the scripture I read, in John chapter 16, verse 5. He said, I said I'm going and none of you have asked me, cover this. That's Latin, where are you going? <laughs> none of you have asked me, where, where, that, where that goes down? He said, because I told you I'm going, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 6. Sorrow has filled your heart because I said I'm going. But verse 7 says that it's to your, I mean, that statement is more complicated than walking in water. It's more complicated for Jesus to say, he, this powerful man, he walked on water, he raised the dead, he did so much. Peter, the guys were feeling so good to be with him. Then he tells them that it's to your advantage I live. In what way can that be to our advantage? In what way? 
And then he said, because if I don't go, the comforter will not come. But we don't need him. <laughs> That's the natural, logical conclusion. We don't need him. You are here, fine. So don't go. Stay, stay, that'll be fine. And in John chapter 14, verse 17, he says that you, you know him. He, he says, he shall be, he's with you, but he shall be in you. So when Jesus was with them, the spirit was, I told you, the spirit, you, you know, uh, opera trinitatis adestra indivisa sant. When Jesus is there, the spirit is there, the father is there. Jesus told them that the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, but, and he shall be in you. Now, this thing is going to move from outside just of you. And watch this. So, but, but Pastor, you spoke about the water inside. But now, this is just outside. The truth is when you are clothed, it's the Holy Spirit that actually is wearing you. Even though it is like, okay, let me show you something. Um, on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 2, says that a sound came from heaven, right? It came from heaven, I said, right, right, and it filled, say filled. That word field, if you study the Greek very carefully, the Greek word that was used, field, is different from the Greek word that was used in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. The wind filling the house was to fill something inside. But the second feeling was to fill something all over. So it's in, but it's all over. It's like you take a sponge and put it in water. You can say the water is in the sponge. However, the sponge is in the water. Who is in who? <laughs> now watch this. As I told you earlier on about the Trinity, who is inside you? Is it Jesus or the Spirit or the Father? The entirety of the triune God are in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says that Christ is in you. So who is in you? Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 is there. How that Jesus Christ is in you. It's clear. But when you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us that one father in us. So who else is in you? Oh, who else is in you? Is there. One God, one father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. So the father is in you. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it says the spirit is in you. So look, this thing is serious. As you walk, pastor, you carry the entirety of the tree. <laughs> That's the mystery of godliness. When you see a Christian, it's not a religious person. It's a container. It's a house. It's a housing for the triune God. I carry God, not just for breakthrough, but for God's purpose on earth. He has always desired that he will fill man with himself. So when we talk about where we being clothed, it's one way... We have been clothed and enveloped by the Spirit, but functionally, He has worn us and He has made us like His clothes. And as we move, He's moving. That's why we have to be very conscious of the presence of the Spirit in you. And as a believer, you have to focus on developing your awareness of His presence because the awareness will be in levels. As you grow in the Lord, your awareness becomes more acute and more and more. And when you walk with that awareness, nothing can intimidate you. Nothing can stop you. It's easy for you to say, yes, Lord. It's easy for you to go anywhere God says someone must go. Why? Because you know who is with you. You know who has sent you. Paul said that, I'm told that chains and afflictions await me, but it's not a problem. It's not a problem. He said, for this reason, I suffer all these things. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. He said, for these reasons, I suffer all these things. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I am persuaded. Said, for which cause I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. Your ability to do great things for God has a lot to do with your awareness of the spirit that is at work in you. First, you must be hungry. You must be thirsty for the spirit to come and clothe you and clothe himself with you. It's, it's, it's a very beautiful union. Because Jesus said something. He said, the father is in me 
and I'm in the Father. Who is in who? That's the beauty of godliness. In the same way, the Spirit is in you, but you are in the Spirit. Baptism, you are plunged into the Spirit. He said he's the one who baptized you with the Spirit. Bible says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verse 13, we are all baptized into one Spirit. So he took us and put us into the Spirit. However, the Spirit is in us. Even though he dwells within us already, he is in us to function through us. That's what it means to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to clothe you. He wants to be clothed with you. That's why every believer must be very careful what you entertain, how you build your walk with God, how you saturate yourself with the Holy Word of God, how you give yourself to prayer, how you give yourself to fellowship, how you give yourself being sensitive and asking the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come upon me. Now, tomorrow at a prayer meeting, I'll be explaining some things because sometimes some people become very spooky. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, there's no need you go around telling everybody, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, you produce their fruits, we will know. <laughs> Your fruits will tell us that somebody is wearing you. But the truth is, believers, it's about time. United Kingdom, I'm speaking with an apostolic audacity over this commission. Caris is here because United Kingdom is ripe for revival. I wasn't saying it for fun, but our mother in the house here, this great woman of God, she's an icon because of God's agenda. He, has, he definitely has to link us to the old wells and what he's already been doing. Because the Bible says they continued in the apostles. There must be a continuation. It's the same spirit. It's the same river. It's the same flow. It's the same flow. It's the same flow. So I'm trying to say that if you are exposed to caries, it's not only caries, other churches, but if you are exposed to caries, that means that be aware God has an agenda to do through your life. You are not permitted to live just a normal, ordinary life. You end up becoming a zero. But you are supposed to be a hero. 28,000 plus zero. What is it? It doesn't affect it. Minus zero doesn't affect it. But plus one, it adds something to it. Refuse to be a zero. Come on, shadow higher. The only way you will not be a zero is when you open up yourself to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come afresh upon me. Clothe me with yourself again. And clothe yourself with me. Holy Spirit, come afresh on me. Holy Spirit. If we are saying this is a year of revival, revival can never happen outside of the Holy Spirit. Feeling people and clothing people. We want to pray, Holy Spirit, come upon me. Can we shall, shall we please rise to our feet? Fall afresh on me, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this message by David Entry. We pray you have been strengthened and enlightened. You can connect with David Entry on all relevant social media platforms, including Instagram and LinkedIn. You can also hear many more messages from David Entry on all relevant streaming platforms and the Carriage Church app. Don't forget to like and share the message. Be blessed.